There is a mindset you can bring to your learning, practicing, and reviewing anatomy. There are strategic things you can do and key mindsets to have to get your A to pass with flying colors. Go ahead and keep that podcast player going to explore further. Hello, this is Seth Jump, your professor for Anatomy on the Go. Thanks for joining me today. You can find me online at anatomyonthego.com. While you're there, make sure to subscribe, and I'll send you my free ebook, Preparing to Ace Anatomy, as well as some other free goodies as well. So I'm actually going to start with a quote today and then work through the tips. The quote is, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Now, this is attributed to Vincent van Gogh. And I really like this quote. It makes things less overwhelming. You simply do the small things, take the small steps, and then eventually those add up to a lot of steps. And you can achieve uh, big things by just doing the small things over and over and over again. So that makes anatomy, I think, less overwhelming for a lot of people to do the small things, the small steps. So in today's episode, what we're doing is we're blending a few new ideas uh, with an episode that was published in the fall of 2020. So I have some new tips that I'm going to share with you that I think can help you in your learning, practicing, and reviewing anatomy. And then we're going to go into that episode that was published uh, previously as episode 42. So here we go with tip number one before we head back into some study hack tips. So figure out what easy would look like and ask yourself the question, what would easy look like for learning, practicing, and reviewing anatomy? So I've heard this idea mentioned in various podcasts over the years, and I also recently read a book called Effortless by Greg McKeown, and it's gotten me thinking about what could be easier in my own life. And this question has actually really helped me quite a bit. So when you're learning something challenging like anatomy and or physiology, you can assume that it's going to be very, very difficult. And it is challenging, right? But what if you inverted this, you switched this around, you reversed it, and asked this question, what would easy look like? So asking the question can be actually pretty empowering, and it helps you come up with solutions. And it can also bring some lightness to the whole thing by asking, what would easy look like? So maybe try that question out in your anatomy and physiology pursuits and see if it works for you. Tip number two, do the least amount of work to get the best result. So find the shortest podcast that gives you the content you need, find the shortest audiobook, watch the shortest video, or maybe it's not the shortest per se, but the one that gives you exactly what you need in a relatively short period of time or in the most efficient, effective way. This is not saying there's a quick fix or the, the perfect video, but it's a sort of a shift in mindset. The key is is not to work as hard as you possibly can to learn anatomy. It's about working as smart as you possibly can, working in a way that is most effective for you, and and honestly is the most cost-effective in terms of of time uh, spent to learn the subject. Tip number three, find a go-to phrase, saying, or affirmation to provide motivation for yourself. Now, it could be anything that puts you in a good frame of mind, an empowering state of mind that gets you motivated to really do good work or good studying or good practicing. You could say something like, I've got this, or finish strong, or stay steady and strong. Now, this could be very effective, right? Think about the opposite. What if you keep saying to yourself, I am never going to learn this, or this is so much information. What does saying that to yourself actually do for you? Does it get you any closer to your goal? 
So go back to something that is empowering and motivating. Try that out and see if that gets you in a good frame of mind for getting ready to crush your anatomy goals. Tip number four, be very organized with the content. Know exactly what the content is. Organize it in specific folders on your computer. Use Google Docs. So know exactly what you need to know, know where that content is, and know also when you need to know it so you can prioritize your study periods of time uh, according to, you know, what's the most important thing to, to master next, whether it's skeletal, skeletal system is first and muscles and some other content after that. And also be very organized with respect to the how well you know the content. So some things you can dismiss, you don't need to look at them triage them in another folder, maybe review right before the test, and then just focus on those things that you know you really need to work on. That leads to tip number five. So use a short burst of activity. So assuming that you are very, very organized with the content, if you have 20 minutes here and there, you can go ahead and just with a few clicks, get right back into the content. You might have 20 minutes on a whim or even 15 or 20 minutes. So in my own life, I've experienced this a lot recently. It can take me 25 minutes to send an email, uh, given the setup of my house. So we have three kids, a puppy, and a lot of things we have to do. And I do have intentional time set aside for work, but I never really know when they're going to be and when I'm going to be able to focus on something. So if I'm really focused or really organized with the content, I can slide back in directly to the work I'm already working on if I have 10 or 15 or 20 minutes, if I know exactly where it is, where I need to, to start off again. And so you can use this as well. Use a really short burst of activity. It can also feel less exhausting overall because you're just doing kind of a short work effort. Then you can take a break. You do another short work effort. That's not going to be a substitute for the longer periods of time where you can really, really focus deep work for you know, maybe an hour, hour and a half, but maybe 15, 20 minutes works for you the best anyway. So before we go into the next part of this two-for-one podcast episode, let's just do a brief recap of these these new tips you can incorporate in your studies. So number one, figure out what easy would look like. Number two, do the least amount of work to get the best result. Number three, find a go-to phrase, saying, or affirmation to help provide motivation. Number four, be very organized with the content. And number five, use a short burst of activity. So let's go into the next part of this uh, podcast episode today, which is a rebroadcast from about a year ago, fall of 2020, and providing some test-taking hacks that you can use. And so you can use these new tips, some mindset shifts for you as you approach uh, the test. And then you can use some of these hacks to help you really do very, very well on your next exam. So here we go with the next part of the podcast, the two-for-one deal for today. Enjoy, and I'll see you at the end of the podcast. So here we go. I got 11 tips and strategies you can use to really uh, do, do well, perform well on your next thing. Tip number one, know the objective up front. So perhaps it's the last test of the term and you've locked in your A and you just need a 70% and you'll still be in the land of the A. In this case, you can simply maximize your strengths and minimize your weaknesses. Or you may be in a case where you, you really need to knock this particular exam out of the park, so to speak. You need a 92, 94% to bring your grade up a bit, and you really need to be tight with your strategy on the test. So this is where you'll need to implement training. So tip number one, train yourself for the test. Train yourself to be automatic. 
So the way you can do this is you can use the power of questions and the many types of questions to help you learn anatomy more effectively. And so an ideal approach you could use here is to divide and conquer in a study group. And since it's 2020 in these uh, times of social physical distancing, this could be a virtual study group as well. And you could kind of tailor it for that purpose too. And so what, what you're going to do in a study group is each person is going to write questions in a particular subset of a larger topic and then shares the questions with the remaining members of the group. And so you could also craft questions for yourself and then review the questions too. But here's some ideas you could use. You could list all kinds of structures and ask your friend to come to to list what comes to mind. For example, right atrium, lesser tubercle, abdominal aorta, and then they describe what they know about that particular structure. Or you could ask a question like, what are the muscles that do not have a particular action? And then list an action. Or what are the nerves that do not innervate these structures? Or what are the vessels that do not travel to these particular areas? Or any other structures that do not? You could also create side-by-side lists of 10 structures, names, terms. Uh, The number is arbitrary, but you probably don't want too many different structures. And then ask your study partner or study partners to match the correct pairs. And then uh, you can make really ridiculously difficult multiple choice questions and then have some of the choices include combinations like A and B are correct or A and C are correct. You could take PowerPoint slides and have only a picture and add an arrow pointing to a particular structure on the slide and then ask your study partner or partners to identify what is being labeled. You could add a whole bunch of other ideas to this, but the whole idea here is to challenge yourself and your friends to come up with the answer and to describe the answer as quickly as possible. When you do so, you strengthen your knowledge base. And if you don't know it, it's really not a big deal at this point because you just need to spend a little more time on that particular topic. And then trying to answer a question that you don't know before the test is actually a huge advantage because it gives you the opportunity to figure out the answer to that question. And it's all about, with your virtual study group or even by yourself, it's all about having all kinds of different questions. And then the other key component here is you want to build in a time restraint. And what if you went low enough with the time allowed to actually start to mimic the stress of being able to answer quickly? This helps you basically get stress out of the way before the exam itself. So then let's say you and your study friend created 50 questions, challenge yourself to spend no more than 30 seconds per question just to make it very, very challenging. Tip number three, use a point of orientation or an anchor point. So you're going to apply this primarily to a particular type of exam or part of exam where you're being asked to identify something quickly using a slide, for example, or on a cadaver or a laboratory model. So let's apply this whole idea to skeletal anatomy first. So initially, the radius and the ulna can seem like they look pretty similar. However, you can use the disc-like head of the radius as your point of orientation or big hint to tell you the radius you're looking at and not the ulna. If you're being asked to identify which region a vertebra comes from, you could use key characteristics for particular regional vertebrae. For example, the cervical vertebrae have transverse foramina for the vertebral artery. The thoracic vertebrae have downward pointed spinous processes relative to cervical and lumbar vertebrae. And they also have costal facets, uh, which are roughened portions on the body and transverse process that enable a connection to the ribs. 
And then lumbar vertebrae have large bodies to bear the weight of all the vertebrae above them. And so you're simply going to look for these key characteristics to identify different vertebrae quickly. We could add, of course, more detail for each of the different regions too. You could also use something where uh, you're identifying a structure that appears only on the anterior or posterior surface of a bone. So for example, as soon as you see the spine of the scapula, you know right away you're looking at the posterior scapula. You could apply this to muscle anatomy as well. So forearm muscles can be challenging because they, they tend to uh, run parallel to one another and look similar. Um, so you could use the palmar aponeurosis, connective tissue that covers the palm of the hand, as a big hint to tell you that you're looking at the anterior, uh, the palmar surface of the hand and forearm. Uh, the tendon of the palmaris longus, which you might not even have, inserts right into the palmar aponeurosis. And so you could also think about lateral versus medial. You could use the thumb as the lateral point of orientation. The muscles, therefore, attaching near the wrist and adjacent to the thumb are therefore radialis muscles. And remember that the thumb is on the same side as the radius. So using this whole idea of a point of orientation or big hint can greatly improve your performance when you're asked to identify a labeled structure. In these types of exams, you're often under a time constraint, and you need to answer quickly. So having something that you can identify and reference quickly and hang your hat on can really help you get the answer done in a hurry. Tip number four, eliminate answers to increase your chances of getting the answer. So each time you eliminate an answer, you increase the chances of getting the answer correct, if you're guessing, of course. But the other reason you want to do this is that you want to bring your focus to bear on fewer items. You aren't therefore stewing on those other potential choices, and you're focusing your thinking on fewer items. Tip number five, start with your strength or start with your weakness. So there are two schools of thought on this. Some think it's better to get the challenging stuff out of the way and then move on to the easier stuff, whatever the task. Others think it's better to start with the easier stuff, like a warm-up, and then move on to the challenging stuff after that, almost like a mental warm-up and stretching routine before the big 10K, in this case, analogous to the exam. So let's assume the test has multiple types of questions, maybe true-false, multiple-choice, free-answer case study type questions, determining which structures are labeled, various types of questions. So the question for you then is, which of these types of questions is the easiest for you? Which of these types of questions is the most difficult for you? And which would you prefer to start with? There is no correct answer here other than what's best for you, but you might want to get the super challenging stuff out of the way, maybe start with the case studies, or you might want to start with the easiest stuff for you. For me personally, I like to start with the easy as a way to warm up the brain and then move on to even more challenging content after my brain is warmed up. Tip number six, watch for absolute words and beware of absolute words. So examples of absolute words are never, always, necessary, necessarily, required, not, and OT. So in anatomy and physiology, many things are conditional and not necessarily absolute. And so those uh, very strong absolute words can often disqualify answers because very few things are absolute in all conditions. 
or they can be used to draw attention to foundational principles in both anatomy and physiology. But regardless, you want to keep on guard for these particular types of words and let them signal to you as a way to uh, approach this particular question. Tip number seven, cut ties with a question you don't know. Simply just ask the question, move on. And then before you choose to ask it, don't spend too much time on it either. Why? Two reasons. If you don't know it, you don't know it. Perhaps you simply forgot to study that part of your notes, and no amount of time will bring you the answer. So persisting and thinking about it will only be wasting your time. Second, the more time you spend, the more frustrated you may begin to feel, and that's going to sap your energy and also potentially disturb your overall calmness on the test. Tip number eight, develop shorthand notation. So let's assume you are taking a computer-based test and you have a a set of scrap paper that you're allowed to use, or you might have a paper-based test uh, itself. So you could develop some notations that help you review your test after you've completed or go back to particular questions uh, that you haven't yet found the answer to. So here are some notations you could use. You could use the notation CA, and that means check again, and then you simply circle the answer on that particular question that is most likely. You could use the notations DK or SK, which basically just means, uh, I don't know, you're axing it. You completely skip that question. So if you happen to go back and review that question, you just don't look at it anymore. You just, you don't know it. You're cutting your losses on that particular question. You could use a symbol uh, on a particular question, uh, and then you're taking note of some fact that appears in the body of a question that the test has stated is true. And then you can use that particular notation as a way to go back and find any particular facts that could help you with other questions. So the take-on point for this particular tip is to maintain efficiency and also not to duplicate any particular effort on the test. Tip number nine, use the test to help you find answers. Uh, So this one can be huge. That's what you're using the symbol for I mentioned before. And so using the shorthand notations, you can use this for questions that are circle back, check, check again questions. And on the test, there might be some specific questions that are giving you explicit factual information about some anatomy topic. So it might appear in the body of the question or in a case study. There might be something within the test that triggers the answer in your brain. And so use this to your advantage and make sure you don't cut ties with a particular question that you're, you're pretty close to finding the answer. You just need an extra little fact somewhere in the test that'll help push you over the edge toward the correct answer. Tip number 10. So here's the question for you. What are your motivation mantras? What is your self-talk? What are your mindset hacks during the test? So this is huge. Probably we undervalue this in many respects. And I know I do on a daily basis. But the key thing here is what we say to ourselves can often represent a self-fulfilling prophecy. We really tend to perform according to how much we believe we can perform well. So think about this in terms of competing neurotransmitters within your brain. When you have all kinds of anxiety-associated neurotransmitters, your brain is not going to be well-suited for calm, deliberate thought. You certainly can learn to override the other states. But that inner conflict doesn't necessarily help you with the test. So what are you saying to yourself during the test? How do you motivate yourself? Uh, What do you say to yourself to keep your, your mindset focused and confident within the test? So the key question then is how could you use a particular mantra, phrase, saying to 
boost your performance on the next test. It could be something as simple as I'm getting better and better, or I'm just getting started, or even something kind of like that, but then makes you laugh. So then your your self-talk is actually motivating and keeping you light. But I'll leave that up to you because it's something uh, that's typically pretty personal. So there you go. Tip number 11, take a pause. So if you think about it, there's nothing in the test bylaws of the universe that you have to be on, that is, engaged with thought the entire duration of the test. And so what if you simply just pause? You took a pause, you relaxed, you just sat there for a second. You could sit and breathe quietly for a minute or think about something or someone who brings a smile to your face and then simply let your mind calm down. And so this may have the effect of reducing the competition of the neurotransmitters in your brain and simply just allow room uh, when you do resume to have calm, deliberate thinking throughout the test. One way you might know that you need to take a pause is if you're starting to feel the onset of anxiety or feel kind of feelings of of becoming frantic. Uh, That's a good indicator that, okay, I need to slow down for a second. I need to just chill, take a pause, and then get back to the test with uh, renewed effort. Well, thanks for listening today. Hopefully, you can take away some tips that you can apply in your own studies of anatomy and or physiology. If you... uh, would, maybe you could send me an email and let me know how these have worked for you, or you can send me an email and ask for additional tips on particular content areas. Don't forget, you can also leave a voicemail on my podcast page. I'll link it up in the show notes if you'd like to do that, and then I'll answer your question like I did in episode uh, 49 um, to answer Constantine's question. I can answer your question directly in the podcast. So with that, I'll close this particular podcast episode out. And until the next episode drops, all the very best. Good luck with your studying, and I'll see you later.